West Bulls, good morning. How you doing? Good. Hey, I want to I want to take you back. And I can't believe I'm saying this. 15 years ago, early June 2002, we were out in New York City with the high school youth group here at the church. And there was, there was one day we had just been walking and walking and walking and walking the streets of New York. And it finally got to the point where we just needed a break. And so we stopped for a restroom break, and some of the group um, saw a bathroom in a park nearby, so they went there. Some of the group went to this McDonald's and some storefronts, and I looked across the street and I went, I'm going there, because across the street was a Ritz-Carlton hotel, and nobody wants to get to the end of this life and not have gone to the bathroom in a Ritz-Carlton hotel. So got done and I was waiting for the few that went with me and, and they were like, are you sure we're supposed to do this? I said, look, it's about confidence. Just pretend you're staying here, okay? Well, I'm waiting in the lobby and have you, ever, have you ever been indoors but you can tell that like a cloud came in front of the sun and, and something, it just dims. Well, I'm looking out the window and everything dimmed and I realized it wasn't because of what was outside. It was because of the enormity of the person that was walking behind me. And I turned around and my jaw hit the floor, true story. There walking by with his entourage was Shaquille O'Neal, the seven foot one, dominant, future Hall of Fame, spokesperson for Icy Hot, that Shaquille O'Neal, okay? <laughs> and I, I had just, what had happened was the Los Angeles Lakers were in New York. They were playing the New Jersey Nets in the NBA Finals that year. But I had some very strong opinions about Shaquille O'Neal because I grew up a Detroit Pistons fan in the Bad Boys era back in the late 80s. Even Michael Jordan struggled with them, okay? So to me, Shaquille O'Neal was just a big mouth on a big body. And, and I thought, this is just a football player in a basketball uniform. He just throws himself around. He, he talks a lot of smack. And uh, I, I just, I had said these things about him before. Well, um, let me ask you something. Do you think I had the courage to say that in that moment? No, no. And I think what overwhelmed me were the details of looking at this guy because I looked at him and he had rings on his fingers and he had chains around his neck that I'm sure represented more money than I have cumulatively ever seen in my life. And then I looked at his shoes and I went, those are not shoelaces. Those are, those are ropes for tug of war. Okay. <laughs> and his socks, I was like, those could be my pant legs right there. Every stride he took was at least five of mine. And, and just getting more serious, I really, there was a very real sense of inferiority that just rose up within me. Because I'm looking at this giant and I'm, I'm just thinking, who am I? And, and what have I done? And what do I have? So you can imagine, there stood the giant. Except now the scene is not a lobby in a hotel in New York. It's a battlefield. The men of Israel and Judah had taken their positions on the battle line, and there stood the giant. And you know what I think? I think the detail that they were looking at probably overwhelmed them. Look at this in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Look at what it says about this giant. Verse 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out from the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He made Shaq look like a child. Over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale, of scale armor of bronze weighing 
5,000 shekels. It's about 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and on a, bron and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. It's about 15 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him. In ancient warfare, here's how things worked. The first line, the first battle line would go out and they would hold the shields. And a guy like Goliath actually didn't stand in the front. He would stand behind the shield bearer and he could just pick people off with his, his spear over and over and over. And so this was terrifying. It was a, a serious tactical advantage. And then to add on to it, now Goliath starts talking trash. Look at verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? In other words, why? Why would you guys even try? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And if you were standing there on this battle line, this would have felt like a, a death sentence. Because you're looking at what's in front of you, and I can't help thinking that they felt the same way I felt as I looked at, at the enormous Shaquille O'Neal. Who am I? And what do I have? And what can I do? And so the next verse makes a whole lot of sense. Verse 11 says, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, it's one thing to have this happen in this one moment. But this went on and went on and went on. In fact, look how long it went on for. Verse 16 says, For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. If you had something intimidating you, and calling out to you over and over and over, morning and evening, every single day, what would you do to get rid of it? What would you give to get rid of it? We find out just how desperate Israel was to get rid of Goliath in verse 25. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king, listen to what the king will give. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. So he'll give money. The king will also give him his daughter in marriage, so he'll give his family. And then this is how desperate they were. This is the government here, okay? And he will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. Yeah, yeah, that sounds, that sounds nice, doesn't it? But that's how desperate they were. Come back to verse 11. On hearing... The Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Are you here this morning, or have you been, at some point in your life, dismayed and terrified because of what's in front of you? Are you discouraged this morning because of something you're facing right now? See, often it's the details of this thing that overwhelm us. When you face something that feels so much bigger than you that you're powerless to do anything against, it's the details. And I know for some of you in this room, Goliath showed up, not, not as a huge warrior, but he showed up in the mail. 
And when you opened that envelope, it was the heaviest piece of paper you've ever held in your life. Not because of the weight of the paper, but the weight of the number in the amount due box. For some of you, it's not how big the giant is, it's how loud the giant is. Because he calls out to you every single day and you have words that someone in your life has said to you or maybe you say to yourself and you just keep replaying them and they're so loud, no earplugs will block them out. Or maybe for some of you, it's a face. Right now, a face is coming to mind of somebody that when you picture them, you might as well be on a battlefield. Because the very thought of them, or them stepping into the room, it spikes every chemical in your body, and it's fight or flight. So what is it? Those are just the situations I know about. What is it for you? What, what feels so much bigger than you right now that you're facing? What keeps calling out every single day? It's there when you wake up in the morning. It's there when you go to bed at night. And if you're like me, there are some nights you're up in the middle of the night, and it's still there. What is it that you would give anything to have that situation change? Now, I ask you all that, not to bring anybody down, but here's what I think. I think we all know the story of David versus Goliath, and we know it really well. It's, it's known throughout literature. I think we all know the story of David versus Goliath, but if I'm honest, as I listen to people and I, I even reflect on my own life, I think we live the story of Saul and his army versus Goliath. And so this morning, this morning, I want to walk through this story that we, we've heard growing up and we, we know so well. But the reason I want to walk through this story is because as you walk through this story, you discover it starts to speak to us about why, why giants have so much control in our lives and why we go to that place of fear. And at the end of the story, I want to ask some questions along the way but at the end of the story, I want to show you one detail that I don't remember ever hearing as I read this story, and yet it's there in every single translation of the Bible. And I want us to look at that detail because I think it means so much for so many people in here. So if you haven't figured out, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 17 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. But here's what's going on. Israel did not always have a king. Israel at one point was ruled over and governed by judges, okay? And one day, Israel looked around, the whole nation, and they're looking around and they went, well, that nation has a king and they're doing well. And that nation has a king and they're doing well. And that nation has a king and they're like a world superpower. So God, we want a king. And God said, no, 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 I'm your king. And they said, no, boo, no, we want a human king. And so God said, okay. I will give you a king. And what God did was he gave them a king that represented what was really in their hearts so that they could see it more clearly. And so what he did is he looked around and what was in their hearts was the idea that it had to be somebody who looked like a king. So he selected, he selected a man named Saul who was tall, dark, and handsome because they thought great looking equals great leading. Except if you know the story of Saul, does great looking equal great leading? No. No, it does not. Because leading up to this point on the battlefield, Saul had had some moments. Saul had had some moments where he was supposed to represent the nation, and instead, where was he? He was hiding. He was cowering in a corner. He was taking things into his own hand, hands, and he wasn't trusting in the God who put him there. And so, 
there, there are a few guys in the army, and uh, they have a younger brother named David. And David's dad one day said, hey, I want you to take some food to your brothers and make sure they're doing all right. So David shows up on the battlefield. He's a shepherd boy. And he shows up on the battlefield, and he's visiting with, with his family when Goliath shows up. And he says the same thing he's been saying for 40 days. He's defying the armies of Israel. And David, David hears all this. And he decides to speak up. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. That's where we're going to jump in. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32. Look at what David said to King Saul. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant, referring to himself, will go and fight him. Do we have any Lord of the Rings fans in here? Okay, so a few of us are going to have a moment real quick, okay? And the rest of you can listen in. All right. You remember there was this council at Rivendell. Rivendell. And basically, it's a bunch of these warriors from a bunch of different lands who are trying to decide who's going to take this ring to Mount Doom and destroy it once and for all. And they're all arguing about who's going to do it. And then the smallest of them all, Frodo. Frodo steps forward and he says, I'll go. I'll go. And you can imagine, as you've seen in the movie... All their heads turned, and everybody got quiet, and they're looking straight at Frodo. And one by one, they fell in line behind him. They said, well, I'm behind you. You have my axe. You have my bow. You have my sword, which is a whole lot more than David got in this moment. Look how Saul replied to him. Verse 33, Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy. And he has been a fighting man from his youth. One of the best pieces of advice I was ever given is when somebody says something to you, you consider the source. Well, consider the source here. How did Saul get put in his position? Well, his appearance. I mean, God put him there, but it was he picked somebody with the appearance that they all thought they wanted. And so Saul, as he looks at David, and he looks at Goliath, and he looks at David, and he looks at Goliath, what is he, what, how is he summing up the whole situation? Appearance. This doesn't look right. And this is where David, his response begins to inform our situation. Look at this. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And look at the next statement. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. When was the last time you reflected on your past? For, for many in here, that's not a fun thing to do, is it? Because the past is full of some painful, painful moments. And yet, here you are. Here you are. And I know it's not fun to look at the past. But I think what David is getting at is that I made it. I made it through. But the second question is, when you look at your past, who gets the credit for getting you to where you are now? King David, if he was standing here, he'd say, it was the Lord. It was the Lord. Even though you had situations you didn't think you were coming out of, you couldn't imagine taking another step forward, the Lord brought you through. 
And I think what you see going on here is something that we forget. And the fact that we forget it is why we get so filled with fear and we get so controlled by the giants in our lives. Because when, when you get caught up in what's in front of you, you forget what God has brought you through. When you get caught up in what's in front of you, you forget what God has brought you through. Um, in light of this, what, the, what David just said, how many of you have had a face-to-face encounter with a wild animal? Anybody? Okay, it is terrifying. So about four weeks ago, it was 4th of July morning, we're at our house, our girls are out riding their bikes in our cul-de-sac, and suddenly they're like, Dad! Dad, look! And I turned around, and at the end of the cul-de-sac was a gigantic, hulking baby deer. There's a baby deer, all right? And before you judge me, just let me finish, okay? So they're riding full speed ahead to this baby deer. I'm jogging behind them. And have you ever approached a deer when it's like got its head down and it's eating, and suddenly it notices you, and it does like in one movement, it's like, and this deer and I locked eyes. And I'm pretty sure it stared into my soul. And I, I stared into its eyes. And I realized this, this thing has the body of a baby deer. But it has the spirit of a lion. And so I was gone. I was just gone. Okay, the girls are still riding toward it. I ran. And it was a little scary. It really was. They, it was like a Terminator deer. Just a promise. So... But I thought, good grief. I used to be in Boy Scouts. I mean, I've been backpacking. I've come face to face with a moose. One time I came back and a raccoon was in my tent. I've been stung by a jellyfish. And I forgot. In that moment, I made it through all that stuff. God brought me through all that, but this baby doe. In fact, I could have used used this passage. The Lord who delivered me from the claw of the raccoon and the antlers of the moose will deliver me from the hoof of the baby doe. (laughs) And yet I think that's what this must have felt like for King David, the future King David. Because he was looking at what was in front of him in light of what was behind him, what God had brought him through. Well, the conversation continues. Saul answers him, and look what he says at the end of verse 37. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Well, that's a change of tune. Or so we think, right? Look at what, he, look what happens next. Verse 38, Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. And David did something next that I think we have an incredibly hard time doing. Look at the next, at the next part. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. And look what he does. So he took them off. So he took them off. When it comes to what you're facing right now, who has permission or who have you allowed to speak into that situation? Who have you allowed to speak into that situation? Because... Sometimes, sometimes people try to hand us their way of doing things, don't they? Like, if I was you, I wouldn't forgive them. I wouldn't forgive her. And this is what was going on right here. I mean, think about it. Saul was known for being what? Tall. And David was known for being small. 
So how do you think that armor looked on David? And how effective do you think that armor would have been for King David? So David does something else. So he took them off. Verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. When you think about what you're facing right now, what has God given you? Because shepherds, you know what? Shepherds were known to be deadly accurate with a sling. In fact, at that time, they'd get a sling whirling around so fast that when that stone came out of the sling, it was thought to be going between 100 and 125 miles per hour. And so David, what's really going on is he's taking a gun into a knife fight right now. That's what's going on. Because David was going to lean on what God had always provided in his life. And too often, you know what I think happens for us? Is we walk around in other people's armor. We walk around in other people's armor. We look over there and we think, well, that's working for them, and that's working for them, and that's working for them, so I'm going to try that. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. See, the other reason I think we get filled with fear and that giants have control over us is because we forget what David knew. That just because it was attractive to Saul doesn't mean it was effective for David. Just because it's attractive for them doesn't mean it's effective for you. I've had the privilege of doing a few weddings this year. And there was one wedding that we, we went up the night before. It was out of town. Went up the night before um, for the rehearsal dinner. Stayed the night. And the next day, we're getting ready for the wedding. And it dawned on me, oh my goodness, I forgot my deodorant. And I forgot my shaving cream. And so my wife, Kara, she says, okay, well, it's a hotel. They, they give this stuff free if you forgot it. And there's a store right there. And, and here came the excuses out of Nathan. It's too much work. It'll probably take too long. I don't want to do it. So I reached over and I grabbed Kara's deodorant. Secret Powder Fresh. And I put on Secret Powder Fresh. And then I had to shave. And I was like, you know what? No big deal. I'll just shave with uh, Kara's shaving cream. Skintimate Island Berry Breeze. <laughs> Do you think I walked into that wedding with a whole lot of confidence? I walked in, I was like, the, 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 the flowers here smell incredible. Wait, there's no flowers. Oh my gosh, I'm the flower at this wedding. And there's a group of guys standing in a circle talking, and I, and I walked up to them, and then I went, oh. Not going to approach. Not going to approach. Because when we're wearing somebody else's armor, we don't approach. We avoid. And so the reason David could approach is because he shed the armor of somebody else to rely on what God had provided for him. Well, at this point, Saul has now faded to the background because David is approaching the Philistine. And the Philistine, Goliath, he sees David coming and he just, he thinks he's on a hidden camera show. He says, what a joke. This is a boy you've sent me to fight me with sticks. And David answered the Philistine. Look what he says, verse 45. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. This was a statement that my strength lies in the Lord Almighty. In other words, all your physical strength, Goliath, 
that has no power here. You, Goliath, right now are about to battle the Lord Almighty. He goes on. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Verse 46. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, I will, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give, you, give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not, listen to this, not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. I want you to think about that giant you're facing. You have faced or you are facing right now. You think it's about a number in the amount due box. We think that it's about the words that keep replaying in our brains. We think it's about the face of the person. David says, no, it's not. It is not about that. This is a spiritual battle. And it's about to play out on a physical battlefield for David and Goliath. But it's not by the, by the sword of the spear that the Lord saves. He says, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. As you think about that thing you're facing, I think here's what happens. We think it's about a physical thing, so we think we have the strength to fight it. We think it's about the person, so we go against the person. We think it's about the number and the amount due box, so we scheme and plan about how to figure out the amount due box. We think it's about the words that keep replaying, so we look for all these reasons to prove them wrong. But what I want to ask you is what, is, what is that thing bringing up? What's behind it? Is it anger? Is it rage? Is it greed? Is it jealousy? Is it pride? You cannot fight those battles on your own strength. You can't do it. That's why David said the battle belongs to the Lord. And that's really another reason why we get scared and why giants rule over us. Because we forget who the battle belongs to. I think a lot of us walk through life the way, the way we walk through a supermarket. Okay, there's, there's this thing that they found in the area of psychology, and it's a human behavior common to all of us called um, decision fatigue. Decision fatigue. How many of you, when you go to the grocery store, how many of you go to the grocery store? Okay. All right, times are changing. Now you can go to Walmart Pickup or King Super's Click List. Okay, but when you go to the grocery store, you're winding through the aisles, and what are you doing the whole time you're winding through the aisles? You're deciding. You're choosing. You're spending mental energy on what to get and what not to get. And you know what happens? By the time you get to the cash register, where's your willpower at? It's empty. It's empty. And conveniently, guess what they've placed at the cash register? Candy and tabloids and salty stuff. And, and if you don't go to the grocery store, Facebook and Google have figured this out too. Because they know exactly what time of day to hit you with what ads. When you're more likely to click and buy. Or show you an ad for whatever it is for you. They, they know us. They know us. And we walk through life thinking, oh, it's just willpower. I'll just fight it off. David would say, no, no, you won't. You can't. You can't get through that. Well, you know the end of the story. This is the part we all run to, right? Verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. 
the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. Verse 50, so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Do you want to know what David knew that Saul forgot and that you and I forget? It's simply this, that man's armor doesn't win God's battles. Man's armor doesn't win God's battles. It doesn't. In other words, confidence, confidence and courage in the face of the battle does not come from placing confidence in people's appearances, abilities, and armor. It doesn't. It just doesn't. It, there, there is a God-centeredness to courage, to real courage. And that God-centeredness is remembering on Wednesday, when that face enters the room, when it enters your mind, when that bill shows up, when those words keep replaying, you know what you do? You remember what the Lord has done. You remember what the Lord has given you, and you remember that it is the Lord's battle. Now you zoom out from this story and you just go, oh my goodness, how is it that we have reduced this story of David versus Goliath to a sports analogy? Right, you hear it on ESPN. Well, it was David versus Goliath on the football field today. And there are parallels, sure. But there's so much more to this story. There's so much more in this story. Because this story is a picture of how your heavenly father always has and always does and always will work. This story is a reminder that God recognized. God recognized that in that moment, what, the, what Israel was searching for is the exact same thing you and I are searching for in this moment, a king. We are all searching for a king. And so in that moment, God provided a king for Israel in this battle. It was David. Now, you don't have to look hard at David's life to realize he was spectacularly flawed. And so a thousand years went by. You know what God did? He provided not a king, he provided the king, Jesus Christ. And what he did was he went to the cross. And you know what he did there? He slayed a giant. He slayed the giant of sin, which, which it really covers all the stuff we said earlier. Rage, jealousy, greed, pride, all that stuff in our lives anxiety, fear. He slayed it at the cross when he died on the cross and rose again. Now, let me ask you something. If you have a king who represents you and slays a giant for you, why on earth would you and why on earth would I trust in anything else? I mean, we've talked about this analogy before. It'd be like having LeBron James on your basketball team. And when the game starts saying, LeBron, go sit on the bench Watch me play, all right? Watch this. It's ridiculous. And do you want to know what the implication of having a king who slayed a giant on your behalf is? It's this one detail right here at the end of the story. Look at verse 51. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Verse 52, then the men of Israel and Judah, stop there. The men of Israel and Judah... What were, what were they just a little bit ago? 
dismayed, and terrified. Then the men of Israel and Judah, look at this word, surged. They surged forward. Before they wouldn't even step forward, they surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath into the gates of Ekron, all the way back to where they came from. How interesting. God used David in that moment to fight for victory so that the men of Israel and Judah could fight from that victory. Thousand years go by, and God uses King Jesus at the cross to fight for victory so that now you and me and all who call upon his name can fight from that victory. And you look at that and you go, so no wonder, no wonder 30 years later, there's this guy named Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament, he's writing this letter to a place called Ephesus. And a lot of the issues they faced are very similar to a lot of the issues we face. And that's really what brings us to our numbers for this week. I know I made you wait 30 minutes, but it's 6.11, Ephesians 6.11. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 6.11. This is a man who knew the story of David versus Goliath. He knew the story of Jesus dying on the cross and resurrecting. And he said this. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 12, for our struggle is not, is not, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then verse 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, look at this phrase, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Do you want to know what your role and my role in the battle between good and evil is? It's to stand. Because when you have stood your ground, you know what happens? You get to fight from the victory that God gained at the cross. You get to fight from that victory. In fact, if Paul was standing here, here's what I think he'd say. You are like, you are like a soldier standing on a battlefield at the battle line, facing a battle that you cannot win on your own. And I cannot win on my own. And on that battlefield with you are two kings, each of them offering you their armor. And so I guess the last question this morning is simply this. Whose armor? are you going to choose? Who are you going to be led by? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, wow, to see how you work over time is truly, truly spectacular. And yet, and yet, the light in the room dims every single time a giant shows up in our lives. And so, Heavenly Father, we ask for you to remind us right on our hearts every single day, every single week that you have given us courage, that we have simply to look back at your past faithfulness, to look around at what you've provided for us, and to remember that the battle is yours. And Lord, it's out of the victory that you gave at the cross that we want to be able to fight from. And so remind us every single day to put on the full armor of God by remembering that man's armor does not win God's battles, 
write that on our hearts this week and, and play it out in a very real way in every single battle we face and in every situation we walk through. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. West Bulls, thank you for being here. We'll see you next week.